Good morning, everyone. My name is David Cassidy, and I'm the lead pastor here at Spanish River Church. The last week has seen a momentous event in the life of our country with the recent Supreme Court decision overturning Roe versus Wade. This is an opportunity for us to uh, step into that moment with the gospel. Uh, courts will make judicial decisions. That's their job. And legislatures will make politically expedient decisions. That's their job. But the church is concerned not with the political or with the judicial as its mission. Our mission is to bring the transforming life and love of Jesus Christ to every generation of our members, our neighbors, and the nations through the power of the gospel in word, deed, and sign, to the glory of God. Our ministry isn't political, it's not judicial, it's gospel. And so it's important for us to underscore that in a couple, just two ways I want to talk to you about this morning, and then I'm going to lead you some prayer. Uh, the first one is simply this. It's to affirm the ancient truth that at the first moment that the human race fell into the grip of darkness when we committed high treason against the Lord who made us and loved us, God spoke and said, one day a woman will give birth to a son who will crush the head of the serpent. Since that moment, of course, both the child and the woman have been under assault. You see that in the book of Revelation where both are attacked. And so it's important for us and when we affirm the sacredness of human life from womb all the way through to the end of life, that all people are God's image bearers. And that informs our view of our ethic as we relate to one another. It informs everything we believe about um, the horror of racism and the injustice that is, is, is so evident in our world and when we think about wars and rumors of wars and how people are to be treated when we think about poverty and care for the needy and so on. People, all people, are the image bearers of God and that's been true from the very beginning. But we also then have to minister the gospel to each of our lives when we think about our past pain and our past sins. So I want to be sure that the church understands that we as a people will affirm to every woman in this house that you are beloved and valuable in the sight of God. And no matter what has happened in the past, whether you held the hand of somebody who was having an abortion or you yourself received an abortion, I want you to know that what Jesus forgives is forgiven. And no church can shame any woman who has put her faith in Christ and said, everything is brought to the cross of Jesus. And so let, let no... Let no woman fear, let no woman be in shame, let no woman dread or think that this church will ever minister that kind of uh, guilt trip on people. The gospel, hallelujah, is true. 
Christ was born of Mary and conquered the darkness, and he died to forgive everything. And our work in the world is not to ensure some political or judicial outcome. Our work in the world is to show the love of Jesus Christ to everyone and to announce that God came in Christ, not counting our sins against us, but forgiving us because of what Jesus has done. Everything in Jesus, through the blood of Christ is forgiven, and there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's be gospel people. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your 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 great love towards us in Jesus. Um, would you help us to receive the gospel promise again in our lives? Help us to be people who affirm to all of our brothers and sisters the goodness of God given to us in Jesus. The gospel is true, and you have come to save us, reconcile us, forgive us for all things. So deliver us all from fear, deliver us all from shame, uh, deliver us all from pride, deliver us from uh, the, the arrogance that attends to power, and help us, Lord, to be humble servants that bring the good news of Jesus in the world and make that our priority. And we pray this in your matchless and mighty name, amen. Bring in the message today is my good friend, fellow pastor, Archbishop Timothy Torres. Tim, come and preach the word to us. Would you welcome Tim? Thank you, brother. I guess I, you guys just heard it, right? I got, a, I got a job promotion. I'm an archbishop now. Wow, I never thought it would happen, but the day arrived. Good morning, Spanish River. It is a beautiful day to worship the risen king, is it not? God is powerful. He's strong. He's mighty to save, and he is worthy of all of our glory. And so with that spirit, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We have been considering one major theme over the last few months as we've been working our way through this gospel, the gospel according to Matthew, viewing Jesus as the king of hope. And during our time, as we've been working through this gospel narrative, we've been having one aim in mind, and that, that is to search and maybe not to comprehend, but to at least apprehend the heart of our dear Savior. We're going to pick up this narrative in Matthew chapter 26, reading, starting in verse 36 through 46. Hear now the word of the living God. Then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, who are John and James, Jesus began, began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but as you will. And Jesus came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, 
he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed a third time, saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the infallible, true word of the living God. The Apostle Paul would later write to the church in Philippians, I counted all as lost. I counted all as lost in comparison to the surpassing knowledge of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What did he count as lost? Well, he counted his resume as lost. His, his LinkedIn profile as lost because right before he wrote those words for us, he recited everything he accomplished in his life before Christ, BC as it were, for his life. He listed his education, his intellect, his pedigree, his accomplishments, all the wins of his life. He laid it out before the church and he says, all these things which I would gladly tell this world in exhortation and glorification of the glorious name of Paul. I now count that as lost because I found something even greater, the surpassing knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this has been our aim, our aim to learn from the heart of Jesus. And so we found that spiritual growth is living with this eternal perspective, with this sobering assessment of what truly matters in this life. And this morning, we're going to see Jesus' heart, not just to start, but to complete his Father's will. This, this passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, in essence, is the crescendo of the gospel narrative. We see in the beginning of Matthew, Jesus gathering his disciples for the Seder meal in celebration of the Passover. He takes the bread and he breaks it. He takes the cup and gives thanks for it. He says, the bread is my body, which will be broken. The cup is my blood, which will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. He tells them emphatically in chapter, verse two, after the Passover, Guys, this is what's going to happen. The Son of Man will be delivered up and crucified. And then Mary, dear Mary, Lazarus' sister, enters the, the dinner party. She takes the alabaster jar of oil and anoints Jesus' head. And the disciples are indignant. Why? Mary, don't you know you're wasting resources? We can sell this resource to, to help the poor, and you wasted it on Jesus. I mean, imagine, these are his disciples. But Mary understands. Mary gets it because Jesus says, this is the words in verses 10 through 13, Mary has done something beautiful to me. 
and pouring this ointment on my body. She has done it. Why? Why? For what reason? For what aim? To prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, today is one of those days. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, the memory of Mary will move on. And so today, we honor Jesus, but we also honor Mary. Because Jesus tells us to honor Mary. Why? Because she understood what lay before Jesus. And so after the state of meal, Jesus gathered his disciples and they went for a walk, an evening walk, into the cool night of Jerusalem. And they sang a hymn. And Jesus led them, as he did before, to the Mount of Olives, into the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Aramaic, Gethsemane means place of the olive press. You see, this garden was a grove of olive trees. And so it was the habit and the custom of people to treat this place as a place of prayer. But it was also a place of industry. It provided olives for Jerusalem for consumption, but then also for temple worship. It was the oil that Probably the very oil where Mary got the oil that she anointed Jesus, but it means olive press. So olives weren't just grown there, but they were processed there as well. The olives were taken from the trees, were crushed under under a heavy stone, and then the oil flowed into baskets. And so Matthew beautifully, artistically, bookends this narrative on both sides with oil. Mary anoints him, his body, his head, his whole body with oil. And now Jesus, after the Seder feast, is in the garden. For what, for what purpose and for what end? To be crushed. The prophet, the Jewish prophet, Isaiah, 500 years before this moment, with this moment in mind, said this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Dr. Luke's account of this story tells us that the garden was Jesus' favorite place of prayer. He writes that it was his custom to go here. And so Jesus, knowing what was ahead of him, ran to his father in desperation. He, he went back to the habit that he had from his early childhood because prayer was accustomed to him. Beloved, prayer must be something that we not do sometimes. But as the Apostle Paul says, in all times, in all seasons. So my question for you, a simple question, is where is your place of prayer? Is it in your house? Is it on the beach? Where do you go in your week where you schedule time to be with your father or maybe prayer really doesn't even have a place in your life. Luke tells us it was his custom. It was every day of occurrence for him. Why? Because prayer was necessary for Jesus because the ministry was difficult. But sadly, many Christians view prayer as merely a part of the Christian life, when in reality, prayer is the Christian life. 
What oxygen is to our lungs is what prayer is to our spirit. Prayer gives us life. Oxygen is not a part of my life, but is the very means in which I am enabled to live my life. But as I mentioned, sadly, many people go through life holding their breath and wonder why they're spiritually passing out. But if you're underwater this morning, under the crashing waves of grief and despair, I want to offer you an invitation this morning, an invitation to come up under the water and drink and breathe deeply of the spirit of God. And this is what prayer is. It must be customary. It must be an everyday practice because life is a struggle and the struggle is real. And this is where you find Jesus struggling. But Jesus, though struggling, is deeply breathing in prayer. And what is his struggle? And what is his prayer to his father? Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass. Beloved, if Jesus struggled to fulfill the father's will, what makes you think, what makes me think that we are any different? In the Gospel of John, Jesus, foreseeing this moment, tells his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Where do you find your peace with Jesus? It's in your prayer life. It's when you flee the busyness and the chaotic nature of human existence in Boca Raton, the need to get to the next place, to do the next thing, to meet the next person, but to slow down, to go to your garden, and to sit before a Savior who loves you deeply and desires to empower you and to strengthen you. But you know what Jesus said, what, what he said right before these words? He said, a time is coming This is John 16, verse 32. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home and you will leave me all alone. Yet, I'm not alone for my father is with me. You see, this is exactly where we find Jesus alone in the garden, struggling as he says, his very words were, words were, I am sorrowful even to the point of death. In the tempest of pain that pierced his soul, Jesus was struggling. Now, why was Jesus in such despair? It wasn't just because he knew of the physical death that he was going to suffer. Even though surely that was a factor, the reality, the source of Jesus' suffering before his father was spiritual, it was psychological, it was emotional agony because he was soon to be forsaken even by his father when he would be nailed to the cross. You see, in essence, in this moment, in this garden, on this dark Jerusalem Jerusalem night in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus felt the weight of the cross long before he was nailed to it. Dr. Luke tells us that the agony was such that Jesus sweated blood from his pores. Such was his 
grief. And so Jesus, as we do in times of desperation, he reaches out for his friends. He reaches out to his best friends, Peter, James, and John, and he asks him to walk with him, to go deeper into this garden because he knew he was going to be, going to be crushed and he needed his friends with him. He could not do it alone in some, to some degree, and so he wanted support, and so he asked for them to come, Peter, James, and John. Now, you remember Pastor David's sermon just a few weeks ago on the transfiguration? Who are the three men that Jesus invited up the mountain to witness this glorious display of Jesus' face shining in radiant glory? It was Peter, James, and John. But now, just some time later, these three men would witness not only the glorious transfiguration, but this dark transfiguration of Jesus from glory shining in the light of the glory of the Father to the grip of despair. See, beloved, we need friends. We need good friends. We need people we can reach out to. And that's why we encourage you to get involved in a life group. Life is too hard to go at it alone. We all struggle, we all suffer. You weren't designed to live on an emotional island. You need brothers and sisters who are going to lift you up, who are going to encourage you, who are going to call you out, who are going to pray for you. Yesterday afternoon, I had the opportunity, a blessed opportunity of visiting a member of Tiona and my, my life group. She suffered a stroke. She's at this very moment at Delaware Medical is fighting for her life. So I went thankfully be able to do a pastoral visit. We have been able to, to do that during COVID. And I walked into her room and her friend of close to 38 years is sitting there. And I started talking to her friend and I said, I'm just here to, to pray over her and to read scripture over her. And she said, pastor, I, I've been doing that for the last few hours. You need a friend like that. You need to be a friend like that. So we need to reject busy life, the hectic schedule that the outside world impinges on us, and we need to be able to slow down and sense the spirit of God and where he is sending us because there's a lot of ministry to be done. And so we need friends. And so Jesus reaches out to his friends, and he asks them to watch and to pray. But Peter, the self-confident, and James and John, the power-hungry, because you remember David's other sermon, right? James and John were the ones who wanted to be seated at the right hand of Jesus in his glorious kingdom, and they had so much um, uh, uh, power and authority that they had to ask their mother to we make this request of Jesus because they didn't want to do it for themselves. So Peter the self-confident, James and John, the power-hungry, we see in this account, they both, all three of them, fail miserably. They didn't watch and pray. What did they do? They slept and they snored. Jesus goes to them and wakes them up from their slumber. Could you not watch and pray, not even for one hour? Jesus' friends had promised to be faithful even unto death, yet, that, yet they couldn't be faithful even unto prayer. For indeed, Jesus' words are true. The spirit is willing, 
but the flesh is weak. Therefore, what is the call? To pray so that we would not enter into temptation. Jesus' words rings true even today. He reminds us that though our friends might, even our good friends might abandon us and fail us, we have a friend in God who will never leave us alone. A father who loves us dearly and who is always with us. And that's where we see Jesus go. He leaves his friends and he goes before his father in prayer because prayer is how Jesus would overcome the struggle. And if prayer is how Jesus overcame his struggle, how are you going to overcome your struggle? By prayer. And so Jesus moves away from his friends to commune with his father. And the passage says Jesus falls on his face and he prays. The only time in scripture we see Jesus falling on his face. Many times, many men and women in his ministry came and fell at Jesus' feet on their face. Even the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John fall before Jesus' feet and they put their face to the ground in worship and adoration. But now we see the king of hope on his face, on the ground, being crushed before his father. And he makes his request to his father. He says, Father, if it is possible for this cup to pass from me, please, Lord, let it be. This is Jesus crying out in his humanity, an expression which is, in essence, the, what, what, is, what is found in every single person, every single man and woman in this room. What is your base instinct? It is that of self-preservation. And that's, what, that's probably the only hope parents have of young kids, right? Especially of young boys, right? You think if you let them go out and play, they surely are going to end up in the hospital, they're going to jump off that cliff. They're going to jump off that playground. They're going to you know, run down that water slide. They're going to do something that's going to be disastrous. But you know at some point the Spirit of God is going to work in their conscience and say, this far and no further. Self-preservation. And so Jesus, broken before the Father in self-preservation, out of a voice screaming from his humanity, Lord, I do not want to die. Of course Jesus doesn't want to die. He's crying out in his humanity, but yet in prayer, he comes to grip with his calling. And his calling was to be crushed. And we see Jesus wrestling with the Father in prayer. You see, beloved, Jesus is not asking us to do something he's not willing to do himself. And that is to give up his rights, his self-preservation, for the greater good of the kingdom of heaven. One of my spiritual heroes is Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot, and through the years I've quoted her many times for you. Listen to this pearl from Elizabeth Elliot. She says to us, to pray thy will be done. I must be willing if the answer requires it that my will be undone. And Elizabeth, uh, uh, Matthew here brilliantly paints the picture of this garden over the backdrop of the first garden, the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 2 and 3, we see man and woman, Adam and Eve, faced with a choice. And what was their choice? Father, my will be done, not your will be done. And that set in motion 
the effects of sin that now is being weighed upon in its totality upon Jesus in this garden and in a few days later on the cross. Yet in this moment, we see Jesus winning where our first parents failed. Him saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus is wrestling with God's will, but he's not trying to change it. Yet in prayer, in this dark garden, Jesus learns to yield to it. And as a perfect man, he felt the awful burden of sin and his holy soul repelled it. Yet as a son of God, Jesus knew his calling was to give his life for the sake of the world. And we too, as we wrestle with prayer, we will find our calling as well. It is in completing the Father's will that we find a call to step out of our comfort zone and into faith, going where he leads in the strength that he provides. I want to share a story with you. One of our members, Fania, felt the call of God to step out of her comfort zone and to lead our ministry called ESL. Let's hear her story. Unfortunately, ESL was one of the ministers they had to shut down during COVID. And, um, but the, we kept getting calls from all our students, emails asking, where are we coming back? And then I saw Pastor Timothy and I asked, well, when are we going to start ESL? And he's like, well, we are looking for a good leader. And I was like, good. And, and I realized that he was talking about me. And then again, I have those episodes when I start to have doubt about myself and why I should not be the leader and any, all those stuff. And then again, I realized that um, the truth is I wanted to do it. I wanted, I just have to overcome my own fears. I was opening again that door from the past and this is time for me to move on. So I say yes. Well, I did ESL before I met my husband. I went to Canada for a few months. My teacher name was Laura. I remember her face and all the dedication, the time, she didn't have to do that. She always talked to me. I think she saw potential on me. I remember they have to pick up a student that was like the most improved student and she decided it was me. I, was, I thought I was awesome. So, and then, she not just uh, taught us English, she used to do groups when we used to go to activities together. And she used to explain, like we went to hockey games, we went to dance places, restaurants, so she can teach us while I was to communicate in a restaurant. And I was by myself. So that she made me part of that, of that group of people, I felt welcome. So I know what it is to be a student, I know what it is to to be a foreign too. So I know the emotions, I know the intimidation, I know how overwhelmed it is. So I can recognize the face because I was that person. So I want the students to know that we are here for them, that they matter, they matter, and then they don't have to feel afraid. They don't have to show anything. We are here to help them, we care about them. I think that is why I have all that experience. Now I understand. At that moment, I didn't. 
But now I understand because I relate with them. I have a lot of empathy with their situation. I learning from each story. When I met them, I have so much compassion with them. I learn about their life. I learn about their culture, why they want to learn English. I understand the English. The English is a part, but the person needs to take into, into consideration that most of them are here by themselves. And they are looking for people to relate. They are looking for group, for women group, for teenagers that they can know and go to activities. They actually want to connect. So it's a community that we are building here. They want to be part of Boca Raton. How do they start? That is when you play a big part because you welcome them. Amen. Did you notice the very first words that Fania said? I mean, when, when she felt the call to step up and lead this ministry, for a moment she struggled with her past. How can I do this? I, God can't use me. But then she realized that it was, God was working in her through prayer, and she stepped up to lead. And right now we have 40 students from over 13 countries that gather here to learn English, and they need help. Fania needs your help. You know what Fania is doing right now as we, as we speak? She's in the booth up there translating my sermon into English, which means she just had to translate her story into Spanish. <laughs> Fania, shout out to Fania up there serving. But Fania needs help, and her team needs help. And so if you're interested in joining the ESL team, go to our Connect page, spanishriver.com slash connect. Or if you want to uh, talk with one of our leaders, you can stop by the lobby at the end of the service. We have volunteers that would like to talk to you about uh, the meeting um, that's coming up in just a few weeks. We're going to host an orientation where you can learn more about ESL and maybe see if God is calling you to serve men and men, women, women in this beautiful ministry. Well, let's close our time together how Jesus closes his prayer. Do you notice he keeps referring to a cup? Father, let this cup pass from me. What is this cup all about? Jesus was echoing the Jewish prophet Jeremiah and others who used the cup as an illustration of God's wrath and judgment. I'll just tell you Jeremiah's story really quickly. God in a vision tells the prophet to take a chalice, a big cup, and it was full of God's wrath. And the, this was Jeremiah's job description. For him, in this vision, his ministry would be to go to the nations and tell them to drink deeply of his cup of God's wrath. Do you want that ministry? He's known as the weeping prophet because Jerusalem is in shambles at this time. But Jesus takes and even fulfills this imagery by saying what? Father, let the nations drink of your wrath. No. Father, let the nations, those people, be judged. No. We talked about self-preservation. Father, I don't want to drink this cup. But then Jesus understands the Father's will, that it was Jesus calling that he alone could drink deeply of the cup of God's wrath so that we, his people, you and me can drink deeply of the cup of the new covenant, which Jesus poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. 
And so if you're carrying sin this morning and you feel its weight crushing you, the guilt and the shame, I just presented and introduced to your Savior that says, you don't have to be crushed. For I was crushed, crushed for your behalf. You don't need to be bruised by the weight of your bad decisions because I was bruised for your transgressions. And so if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you sense a deep love and connection with God, maybe even for the first time, my invitation is to take your sin and place it in Jesus' cup. And Jesus says he's willing to drink God's justice, God's judgment on your behalf. And this is the gospel that Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And after living a perfect life, never sinning once, Jesus went to the cross and the burden and weight of our sin was laid upon him. And yes, he would cry out on that dark day, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus took the full brunt of our sin, which is isolation from the mercy and grace of God and his love and care so that we in return by repenting and walking away of our sinful life and seeking the spirit to walk in new obedience can receive the mercy and grace that was accomplished for us on that cross. So I invite you, even today in this moment, to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to receive this free gift of salvation. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are people have heard your word. Lord, we are broken and we are bruised as we look at you being crushed because you know you did it. We know you did it for us. And so, Lord, now we confess our sins to you, knowing that we have displeased you. We have done what is dishonorable, Lord. We have even been dishonorable even to our own self decided morality, morality, Lord, we cannot save ourselves. But we've heard the good news of one who is mighty to save. And so, Jesus, we place our faith in you, asking that you would forgive us of all our sin and our unrighteousness. And the righteousness that you earned in your life would be given to us. And so we receive your righteous standing before God. And we give you thanks because you have done all things to put us back into a right relationship with the God who created us, with the God who sustains us, with the God who loves us. And so, Jesus, we worship you this morning. And it is your name we pray. Amen.